All right, guys, welcome to Guac is Extra So Are We, where your host, Alyssa. And I'm Maurizio. And today we have a really special guest, my cousin, James. Hi, everyone. Hey, James. <laughs> hey. James, this is his first time on the podcast, and I'm really excited. <laughs> no. It's actually We've been intimidating. Here for a while. I'm intimidated to have you on because you're so much smarter than like the rest of us. <laughs> Same. So it's actually so intimidating because I feel like I'm on with like a college professor and I'm just not prepared. Like I didn't do my homework. <laughs> That's exactly no, I, I, I as well. I was doing my own homework before. I'm like, oh no, what if I like forgot everything I know and I'm going to look. And you fun. text me. You're like, is there anything I won't know? And I was like, no, there's anything we probably don't know. <laughs> like, you're a lot smarter and you know more than us. So, um, yeah. So. I think like this week, the only real reality check we need is like what's been going on in the world. <laughs> reality shows have been like pretty slim to none. And it just feels like not the same. At least uh, maybe that's just like me speaking. I feel like I almost like can't do like a real reality check and like shit talk all these people on TV when like they all suck. And like, that's not like a real problem. And I've been watching a lot more like documentaries and things that are like important. And I feel like people should start doing the same. Like, if you have enough time to binge watch 15 seasons of Real Housewives, like, you can watch an hour and a half documentary. So, literally coming from you who actually binge watches. Yes. And, like, this has been a very eye-opening experience for me in the last couple weeks because I realized how I don't spend my time, like, doing stuff that I should do. I'm not going to, like, learn a language or do anything fancy in quarantine, but, like, I should at least, at the very least, like, educate myself on stuff. So that's kind of where I've been trying, what I've been trying to do the last couple weeks and, like, so my recommendation for anyone who like likes documentaries, likes reality TV, it's not the same, but uh, 13th on Netflix is probably one of the most eye-opening things I've ever watched. And I literally just talked to Ritz before we started recording and I was like, no, I have like a different outlook on everything. And it's so, all of these things that should have like been taught to us never were. And I was a history major and I had I literally no idea just finished like, watching it. Okay, it's right. Like, do you one, it makes you hate the country, but other than that, it just like makes you realize like so much more of like why things are going on and like why people are protesting and like why the world is in the state that it is. And it makes you, it gives you like that context that with, like I said, I was a history major in college and like took classes on American history and like none of this was highlighted. Mm -hmm. So, and I know my memory is poor, but it's not that poor. And it's like upsetting that I, the first 10 minutes, I was like, what? Wait, what? what? That's in the constitution. Literally didn't know. And again, could yeah. be me. I could have done more research in my past, but just as like somebody who I think I have a little bit more knowledge than the average person on American history, like even I didn't know. So you can't like, no one's going to know unless they like go out and like get these resources and watch things and read things. So, I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, James, and I'm sure you know enough, everything about it. So like, Ritz, you just watched it, and I just kind of wanted to get, like, your take on how you feel after, like, learning more about it and, like, understanding the 13th Amendment being passed and what it actually meant. It's crazy to have watched it and then been, like, going into it, you think that you know something about your country and about, like, the Constitution, and you think, you know slavery was abolished but it was just changed into something else and to think that nothing has really changed since 
the 13th amendment honestly like slavery still exists that i, I watched that that documentary uh, and all i got out of it was we just changed the word for it we we now call it mass incarceration like it's literally the same thing it's There's been no rebranded they rebranded yeah. slavery yeah <laughs> yeah i got a facelift <laughs> yeah and i think that um well one i think that history in itself is like whitewashed history at least like like you said you're a history major Absolutely. and like you didn't know these things and i think that yeah. like that's a like core foundation of of upholding white supremacy in our country so i think that when things like 13th come out and people are able to kind of have the you know the mask kind of <laughs> covid joke the mask kind of like shown and like like taken down so that we could really see what america looks like i think that that's something that's difficult for people to uh, take in because it, it requires a level of accountability on the part of specifically for, for white folks. Um, and I think that evolution is another thing that's really important in this conversation. And I think we see it a lot with police right now. Um, you see that while, while the enslavement of black and brown people kind of evolved into first you know it was it was slavery then it became mass incarceration jim crow all these different things um i think we see the same thing with with modern day policing as well um kind of uh, evolving from just into different things and, and really how do we completely solve those issues uh without dismantling them if that makes sense i think that's well, just i think there's like been a giant tie to those issues and the country in itself like we rely on those pillars in our country so how do you tackle those issues without fully facing the fact that a hundred percent our country was not only built on slavery but continues to be built on the backs of slaves like you can call them prisoners you can call them whatever but they're they're slaves at the same at the same point they're people who are predominantly people of color and then you're adding these horrible standards of living and then forcing them into like chain gangs was is still used to this day they just don't go to the fields and and you know plow the the plantations but we still use chain gangs in southern yeah. prisons they're not considered inhumane and that's what's insane like and what's even crazier is it's not even like the, the people that are, I think one of the bigger things is, you know, you had people of color being arrested for like petty crimes, like mm -hmm. petty, petty things that if you were white, you would have never gotten arrested for. And, you know, 13 talks about, you know, the war on drugs. And I literally said yeah, last night, I'm like, I know I'm late to the game, but like, fuck Ronald Reagan. Like, I can't understand because I learned about the war on drugs and I was like, wow, this is a real problem. Didn't understand that like, I didn't have that knowledge on the back end of it of it literally is not a war on drugs. It's a war on people of color. And it's just another reason to have an upper hand on these people. And it's just the most like unsettling thing. And it just makes you feel like gross once you learn about it. At least that's how I felt that I'm just like disgusted with the fact that that's still something that people are pushing and people are still like, no, no, no. Like we have a big issue. We have, these are all problems we have, like crime rates are up and this and that. But like, if you break down the actual, like if you sevenfold out those crimes, like 
you know, a counterfeit $20 bill or playing with a toy gun or like things like that, that are just so they're not crimes. They're mm-hmm. not things that people should be arrested for. They're not pe- things that people should be incarcerated for and put on chain gangs. And okay. It's your third strike because when you or were murder. 17, you stole something like there's just the three strikes you're out thing is not working anymore. Um, as like a whole country, we have to do better. And clearly it's not going to get better unless everyone like the people understand. Now, James, you have always been like very well read and you, you come off as someone who has always been an advocate for marginalized groups. When, how did, how do you think you ended up in understanding the plights of others and, and becoming an advocate and an ally? And where do you think it fell like uh, in my generation, like why did me and Alyssa like not get that? Like, where did it change? Like, how did your, I I will say it's like you, Gianna, it's the same sort of like generationally. Like, like they're woke and we're not. Yeah, that's how <laughs> it's I feel. True. Like, it's true. Yeah, I, I think that it's, it's really a matter of, it, I think it's a national trend really. Or like, I think that, when we talk about uh, like representation in, in media and representation in news and things like that, I think that a lot of those things are important in understanding how our generation at least is kind of exposed to these different issues that are going on. And I think that in, in a lot of sense, and maybe not in my case specifically, but generally speaking for my generation, that a lot of celebrities, a lot of uh, TV shows, do- documentaries are being released. A lot of uh, enterprises are kind of being becoming more outspoken on these issues, and I think that that we're not any we're not protected anymore. Like we're not. I feel like there was an intentional blinding of young people because if you could if you could create a generation of young people who are blind to these issues, then you can, you can, without them knowing, um, kind of force them to uphold that same system that is um, oppressing other people. So I think education is really important. And we already talked about whitewashing history a little bit. But those little things, I think, are, as long as you can keep people complicit in these systemic um oppressive systems then you can maintain them but i think that what is happening now is that people are are learning more and more people are becoming uh are are wanting to learn more and surrounding themselves and that's why i think that talking to your family and things like that are so important because yeah we we talk about voting right like people say oh you know one vote won't matter but if one person if millions of people think like that then that's millions of votes so you kind of use that same that same ideology with this is like if if one if i tell my one friend about 13th and they watch it and then they tell their two friends and so on and so forth then that's millions of people who are now learning um i hope that i think that answers your question um but but yeah, I think for me personally, I got into this stuff just um, when I went to Montclair State, 
I think it's generally a more accepting campus. And I came from a private um, high school in Jersey City. And, and yeah, I mean, it, Jersey City is a diverse area, but my school was very elitist in the sense that, uh, you know, it's, I think now it's like $22,000 to go to high school at this point. So like you're keeping certain people out. And I think that I was blind to all of this stuff. And then as I entered college, I was kind of exposed to it. And I was like, well, wait a second. I want to learn more about this because this isn't how I was brought up. So. And I think that's also you like, no, sorry. It's just like, I think that that's also him like wanting to learn. Like there are some people that like, like James said, like you're brought up a certain way or you're, you know, kept in the dark about some stuff that it's like, you don't want to know. But at this point where we're at now between like media and just like the way that we live our everyday lives, you can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. So I think now it's kind of like, and even like my mom's like, not that she was ever racist, but she just never thought about it. Like she never considered it to be like something that she had to worry about. I want to say like, again, not that she didn't care, but now she's like, it like makes her sick. Like she cries over stuff. Like Nicole does the same thing. And it's like, not that they never ever thought differently. They just didn't realize how bad it is. And Mm -hmm. now these are things that are like on video and in your face, but imagine living this life your whole life and no one ever knowing and understanding. And in the documentary, one of the guys that's being interviewed says like, we didn't like black people didn't need to see this. Like white people needed to see this because we don't have to be shocked because like we live this every day of our lives. And it's just so scary because that is the truth is that, you know, for years, not that you didn't care, but you didn't know you should care. And that doesn't make it okay. It's a problem. If you don't know that there's a problem, you didn't realize because it doesn't affect you. And that's Mm -hmm. your privilege. And that's something that I think for me, like having conversations with family and stuff can be so difficult, but I think like, you know, as a, white person like you can't allow people to think as a racist anymore like there's not you have to be like anti-racist and i think having conversations about fighting it yeah, yeah and i think that that's like why me and ritz wanted to have this conversation with you is because like you know we could have had three black people on a panel and like ask a bunch of questions but like how many times do we have to like ask them to fix to fix like our issue like this is our issue with our religion that like we're not speaking up and we're not doing anything for the community so like mm-hmm. for us it's just kind of been like an eye-opening experience like we went to a protest and like we would have never done that like and that's so mm-hmm. shitty like to think about that we're like in our 30s almost i'm not 30 yet um but i'm almost there but like Rick is in his 30s <laughs> But, like, we've just never, like, realized that that was so pivotal to so many people and that, like, you know, we want to do more. And that starts with, like, understanding and learning more about your privilege. So, and like, as, James, go ahead. No, no, no. You go so what I was going to say, like, as a white man in America, like, I have power and I should use it to my advantage to help those who don't. And, that, and that's just a fact. So And you see so many people being, like, Staying your lane, mind your yeah. business. Like, or if like a celebrity speaks out, it's like, just stick to acting, stick to modeling. But it's like, no, we are the people that should, I don't have a platform. Like I'm an actress, please don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying like, <laughs> I can ignore it. Cause like I can live like my everyday life and go unfazed if I wanted to live like with my blinders on, but you can't live your life like that because I'm also a female and it's not the same thing. But like I experience like really shitty things being a woman when like compared to men and that's only a fraction of how it must feel to be 
black in this country. Like, I'm not killed. Like, I don't, I don't get you don't have to worry about cops that. And I don't worry about certain things. And like, that's still my privilege. So I think that's important. And I mean, for people listening, like, that's kind of the point of this conversation is to like understand our privilege and like what we can do to be better as like white people in this current society that we're living in. Like, James, what, how do you feel about, and I think you're really good at this kind of thing. And I want to ask you because I feel like I get really like heated really easily when like people aren't understanding. Cause to me, this isn't like a black and white, like, I mean, this is like, well, it is a black and white issue, but there, there's no gray area. You're like, the, there's no gray area in this issue. So like, how do you think is the best way to go about like talking to a relative without having the conversation shut down and becoming emotional and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that this is something that actually I kind of just learned, like, and I think that this is something that can be applied across the board to activism or to advocacy conversations. So I think that one thing that I've found very helpful, you, you know, we have these conversations and so they normally, normally my family kind of knows like, like the, the, you know, they'll say, Oh, James is around, you know, the, don't no politics. Cause James is around. And, you know, I always kind of was like, was like, ah, oh, yeah, like they, they know, like, you know, that's me, like the, the liberal kid, like, you know, I, I liked that title, but I never really realized that by them not allowing these conversations to happen around me, they were allowing themselves to continue their uh, ideologies that I consider harmful. So I think that by making, trying your best, and if you are going to get angry, I don't, try not to show it. I think that's kind of the best, the best thing to do. And I know that's so difficult and it's, it's not really something that you can just switch on and do, but understanding that when you get angry, the conversation has essentially ended. This, yeah. Like people do not respond well, if you're going to get angry or yell at them, because if you're talking, when we're talking to other white folks, we are exposing them to something that they actively play a part in. So my parents, um, they, and I, and I love them and, and me as well. And, and y'all as well, we actively play a role in upholding a system that is oppressing other folks or maybe not play a role in upholding, but we benefit from that system. Mm -hmm. So by exposing people and saying, Hey, like you benefit from this people are like, no, I work for what I, I have. So like, I don't benefit from any system. So I think that's one thing. But I think the second thing, it, besides not getting angry or trying your best not to, is to um, ask questions back. And I think that a great example of this is with the protests that are going on right now. A lot of people from an older generation might say, why are they rioting? Rioting is not the way to get their point across. And, you know, right there, I'm like, well, well, they, they, they have a right to be angry. Like, I, I want to kind of go out there and be like, what are you, like, are, are you, are you out of your mind? Like, yes, it is. That, that, that is from history, like history shows, blah, blah, blah. And I want to go off on that tangent. But I found that really what trips people up and kind of makes them think is by saying, and this is, like I said, just an example, like, okay, so what is the right way to protest? And then that person might answer, they'll say, no, peacefully is the right way to protest. Okay, so then 
does peaceful look like kneeling for the national anthem? No, but that's wrong too. Okay, so then what's peaceful? And then, you know, at that point, you kind of got them and they're like, wait, well, what is peaceful? And then you kind of continue to just make them think. And those little things, those little Mm -hmm. instances where they question these beliefs that they hold so deeply, I think that's a a, a little win. And I think that it's just a, a battle and there's a greater war to win. But I think that that's just one time that you've you've won. And even if you leave that conversation at that, if you're talking to someone who you have constant conversations with, I think that that's a good place to leave that conversation and just let them think. And then a lot of the times in my situation, my my dad came back at me and he was like, you know what, you're right. I've been thinking about it and I I don't know what what the right way to protest is. So I think that that was a little win. I think that that's a good way to, to approach white folks is to to ask questions back as well as make sure you're knowledgeable. I think that that's another important one. So. I mean, I think it's like important to that. Like you said, by asking questions, like, like you had said, it makes them rethink like, Oh, why, why am I saying this? Or like, why do I think this? Because you don't have an answer for your question. And I think that a lot of people think that they need to, they need to go out and like read and do all these things and do all this research. But like, you can just start by having conversations and it can really help you like understand things more than you normally would. And something that I think, I mean, I've seen like often with like, you brought up like, why are they rioting? But it's like, there's protesters and then there's rioters. So you have to understand that like, it's hard. Like that was something that I had, I explained to my mom and I was like, no, like some of these people that are rioting are not the same people who are protesting. Like there, there, there are always going to be people who like, are opportunists and who jump in at times of chaos and like create more chaos, but that doesn't negate the reason that they're marching. So it ended up being like this conversation we had and like a couple conversations later, she had to something and she was like, they're just opportunists, these people. She's like, they're doing all this stuff. And it's like, she took like what we had told her and actually said it. And I was like, oh my God, she listened. <laughs> like, that's great. Cause now you're, you're changing your mind on stuff. And like by watching the documentary last night, I've been reading like, this book that's actually free on Amazon Prime is called Me and White Supremacy and it's really good. I think that by like me doing those kinds of things, I'm not that I ever thought like, I hate that I've said like, I wasn't a racist. Like that's such an annoying thing to say, but like, I just didn't understand why black people were so upset. Like I know there was injustices, but I never really understood like that feeling of like being oppressed since you've been around (laughs) like for your entire existence you've been an oppressed person and no one fucking cares you were and that's like before you were even born that's what's so that's what i'm saying like that's the most upsetting thing and like i obviously can't like understand the exact feeling but like reading more about it it's like i've totally changed my outlook on like why the people are really have been marching and have been fighting it's that they still are not seen as people and that's something that I think is, is very hard for people to understand. But by like, you know, talking to people and doing these kind of things, you understand more and like, you're able to like open your mind a little bit. But another thing that I've been seeing, and I wanted to get like your reaction is when people ever cities have been protesting everywhere, like all over America, all over other countries. Like it's so good to see like people coming together, but something that we've seen a lot more since the protests have been the police's reaction to the protests. And we've seen a lot more things on camera. We've heard audio. So where do you guys feel like, where do you land on that? 
Like, I know that I'm going to say, like, I don't think every cop is a bad person. But, like, I believe that the system is fucking damaged (laughs) and it's not working. But I want to know, like, where you feel this, like, how it's gotten to this point and, like, how you feel about those things that we've all seen. Like, we've seen the videos, we've heard the audio. You would think that being at a protest for police brutality and being on camera, you wouldn't beat people up and shoot people, but we were proven wrong. So where, where do you, what do you guys think about that? Um, what I was going to say was, um, so long before all of this was in the news, um, Mike would always say things, just stupid comments, like sort of joking, but kind of not because he's, oh, he works in Englewood. So he has a lot of, like almost all of his students were black or, or people of color. So he's always been around them since he's been a teacher. And he's always heard the stories that, that are now on the news. So for him, this is like no, nothing new. Like it, he's always been around that. But I've always been like the kind of person, like the police are there to protect us. The police are, are always in the right. I would always believe a police officer first. Now, after all of this, even if you're a good cop, you have such a sense of brotherhood and protection with your partners and your other brothers in arms that I don't think that no matter what they do, right or wrong, you're always going to protect them. So I just feel like even if you're a good cop is still a fucked up cop. So unless you stand up for yourself and and stand up for, for those that you see wrong, but then you're shunned and then the cops hate you too. So I don't know really where where I feel at this point, except for like, I don't trust them for sure anymore. For sure, I don't believe anything that they do is the right thing. I don't think that they're equipped to handle any situation well, especially watching protesters and the the things that they're doing at protests. It's insane. It's like completely, like my whole like mind is blown. Like everything that I believe is basically garbage. Yeah. Um- I think that I'm, I try to, I, I find it difficult to talk sometimes about the police because I think that I feel as though I have friends and my, and family that are, you know, our public servants are, mm-hmm. um, our police officers. And I'm like, but how, like, like for, for instance, I work at, uh, like a university and like there's a police department there and I, I know some of these people like so well like they are like you know I would consider them friends of mine it's like how can I see my friends or people that I know as um upholding uh you know an evil system um but I think to to your point to say that there are good cops I don't think there are good cops um might be a hot take for all the viewers, but I don't, I don't believe they're a good all, cops. I, all 20 people watch out. Look, you never know. It might get pulled up later. In my, yeah. in my life. So I think, I think that there are um, moderately good people who then become cops and notice I say moderately, because I think that at a certain point um, you become a cop and then you swear to uphold a law that is oppressive. Um, so I think that once you get into that system, you're already, uh, a part of, of the problem. And I think that what Mauricio said was like, 
right on point in saying that when you become a police officer, you are then part of this brotherhood or this this siblinghood where you are are now part of something that has a deep rooted history in protecting its own and uh, all under the guise of protecting and serving the people. And I don't think that's ever really been the true um, the the true mission of of the poli- of the police generally in maybe the world, um, but I, I would just say North America right now. I don't think that that's that was the historical reason for the police was ever to protect everyone equally. I think there was a time when the police were meant to protect white folks specifically from. Uh, it, you know, it goes all the way back to uh, slave patrols and other things like that. And just to know that there's a system right now that's evolved from slave patrols, I think is just a, a telltale sign that this it's not working anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that defunding the police uh, might be a long process, but and I think that there might be some bumps in the road. But I don't think that any other system or body would get all these opportunities to reform back to 1894 was the first time that the government looked into police brutality. We're talking 1894. This is over 100 years ago. There's been 100 years of police reform and professionalizing police departments, and it's never worked. So I don't know any other system that would get this many chances. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is time to, you know, look at other options. Yeah. And stop having the same conversation over and over and over. Um, because we keep having these same conversations, but we're just regurgitating facts that we already know. We already know police brutality is a problem. We've been, we've been known that since, and against a lot of communities, the Stonewall riot, like that, all that kind of stuff. So, I think that it's past reform at this point. Yeah. And I think when people hear the term like defund the police or they um, automatically assume that it's going to be like, and this was when like Minneapolis had said this, like they, you know, made the statement like we're going to defund and disband the police. And it's like, well, you have to give everyone more context because people are under the impression that defunding the police is like, it's the purge. Yeah, that's it. We're free. Do what you want to do. But like that obviously is not the solution. But then you have somewhere like Camden, New Jersey, that they're, you know, saying like, oh, they disbanded the police. They reformed their police. But that's not the case. Yes. Mm -hmm. At the time, they fired the people who were on the police. But since then, they've like doubled their budget. They've increased security. And there's just a whole bunch of other little pieces. And I think that we do need a new system. Like This isn't working anymore. And it hasn't worked ever since literally slavery (laughs) and i think that all of this starts like by moving up that chain Mm -hmm. and it's like until our government recognizes that this is an issue and is willing to make these changes and like push those agendas onto communities it's never going to change everywhere Mm -hmm. so like obviously the government reaction has been interesting (laughs) where do you guys what do you think about the support not just from like trump and his administration but from the overall government 
like from individual state governments to, you know, people in the House or the Senate speaking out. Yeah, like the whole reaction has been very different. And also this ties into, you know, bringing the military into states and, you know, Trump demanding that if, you know, cities don't take control and the mayors don't get their cities under control, he's going to bring in the military or things like taking down statues and people protesting that, like, where do you feel that the government has landed on the right side? Uh, they're on the wrong side currently. I, I don't, I think that there's so many things, like there's so much counterculture to the current movements that are happening that this like, for, I don't even know what to call them, but like, the white supremacist base that's currently in the Republican and Democratic Party is Mm -hmm. so pervasive that it's hard to not politicize everything that's been going on. And when I say politicize, I mean the actual wording of people saying, oh, I don't want to, I I don't want to make this a politics thing. Like, no, no, it has to be a politics thing because you guys have made it a politics thing. Like it becomes. Yeah, I was going to say it, it doesn't. It's not actually a politics thing, but it they try to make it as if it's like, well, this isn't a. Po- I don't want to talk politics. This isn't a politics. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Like, like no, this is like a right or wrong thing, and this is like a good versus evil thing. Like you cannot deny police brutality exists. That is just a fact. You cannot deny that there are systems set up in place to purposely oppress people that is a fact when you start to muddy the waters and make straw man straw man arguments and say things like oh go ahead uh, uh, defunding the police means abolishing the police no no that that's not what it means um although great if that's what you guys want to do because this is clearly not working but like you would thrive if they just got rid of all cops Oh my God, all of my tickets will go away. <laughs> I was going to say, you'd be able to drive. <laughs> it would be lovely. All of my tickets. Uh, uh, honestly. And that's, I'm like, I have family members who are in the police force. And like, I'm not dis, I don't want to like discredit like the work that they do. And I'm sure that like they're, they're good people and making the best choices that they can make. But at the end of the day, like, there's and i know them they will stick up for their own first and that's true about everything and uh i just don't think that the government and police policing should be hand in hand there's no like there should be a separation like the fact that we shouldn't so we shouldn't have a president of law and order no no we tried that remember nixon he works out well. He is not a uh, a crook, right? So we already talked about Reagan. Do not bring up Nixon on this podcast. <laughs> it's just crazy. I just I, I'm honestly so lost. I don't even know like what's right and what's wrong anymore. I just feel like I want to like. It's just weird leave. because like, but like I think that actually like feeling that way is like not a good thing. But it's like you are now like uncomfortable oh, and you're realizing how fucked mm-hmm. up everything is. And it's like now you want to like do something and you want to help make a change and you want to get other people to understand like you want I, everyone to get it and it's again i can't imagine it being like 
it was about me. And that's so shitty of me to say, but like, that is my privilege. And people who are like, mm-hmm. no, I don't have privilege. And I'm like, no, 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 we have privileges by living our lives. That is I our privilege of not having yeah, to realize it now. Before. And we check ourselves now so much. I'm like, oh, yep. so like, here I am. Like, there's my privilege. And I hate it. But like, it's good that I'm like, this is just something like I never really, really like thought about. But now I think about it all of the time. Mm-hmm. When people say like, oh, well, I had it hard too. I'm like, just because I'm saying that we have white privilege because we are white does not mean that like your experience wasn't difficult. I'm not taking away from your experience. What I'm taking away from you is that you can go into a hotel and not have to worry about the shampoo and conditioner that's there because it was made for white people hair. Like you don't have to worry about those things. Like it's just, you don't even realize some of the little tiny details that are already set up in your space for you to thrive. And it was weird because like, I was, when I was in college, I like dated this um, black guy for a couple months and he, we were in the car once and we got pulled over and I like never actually thought about the experience until recently that like they were, there was two cops and they came to both sides of the windows and like of the car. And I was obviously I was in the passenger seat and they were so nice to me. And they were like, you, you don't live around here because we went to school in Jersey City and that's where we were. And they were like, you don't live around here. Like, you should go home. Why are you hanging out with this group? But like, I guess at the time I was just like, oh, my friends, like, that, that's weird. <laughs> like, I never thought about it and like really didn't understand like what his experience was where we got pulled over and like he lowered the music and like made sure like his hands were on the steering wheel. And it was like little things like that, that if I get pulled over, I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I totally can't afford a ticket. No, 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 no. Yeah. But like, that's what I'm thinking. Cause like, um, spoiler alert, I always get one, but like, I'm like, oh shit, like I totally can't afford this. Like, should I cry? Should I try to like flirt? Like, that's what I'm thinking about. But like, that's not what like black people are thinking about when they get pulled over. And it's like such a weird thing to think about now. Cause I'm like, I never, ever realized that. Mm-hmm. And that was just me being like, white. Existing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just such a crazy thing that, like I said, I think it's good. We're like getting uncomfortable and like having those conversations are tough, but like, I think Mm -hmm. they're like important and something else that I think has really that we've seen is like, like talking about the government, like obviously everyone knows how much I dislike our president, but I didn't realize that like there were, there have been like comments made at rallies and comments that he has said about people of color, like calling them thugs and saying we should punch them and saying all these like horrific things that you just like never thought that somebody who was the president of our country would ever say and to me and now i think it's become an issue where like ritz said it's becoming political because it's like if you're a republican who supports trump you are racist like that's how i see it and i know that i don't know if everyone thinks that way but that's how i think because at this current moment if you can know all of these things that this man and his administration has said and done and you still are like i'm gonna vote for him in november like you're fucking racist and correct me if you disagree, but that's like where I'm at on the whole thing. And it's a shame because it should just be a human issue, but it's become a political issue because of the current administration we have. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think you're wrong to say that I, I, that voting for someone who, well, I feel like not all politicians are outwardly racist as yeah. our current president but like there is a I level think, of racism <laughs> all of them yeah and I, and I, that's exactly where i was going i think that it really 
I'm hoping that politicians who are rising, like we might think of Ilhan Omar or Sandy uh, Ocasio Cortez, yeah. right? Like those types of politicians who are who one understand the experiences, but two understand the importance of being anti-racist and and having policies that are are equitable, not just equal. I think that's an important distinction in policymaking that I don't think our current uh, politicians have. So I like prior to this, I would have considered myself like a strong Democrat. Like I would have like been like, oh, I want to like I would love to like intern for the DNC or like work for the establishment. Like I, I trust the establishment. And I just think that recently and I think that what made me think of this was reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, I think that he talks about how in, in his time, so I'm not making any comments on, on current times, but you know, in the sixties and the fifties, he refers to Republicans as, um, as wolves. And he refers to Democrats as uh, foxes. And he says that the, the wolves are scary, yes, because, but they will show you their teeth. They'll show you who they are and you know what to do to deal with them. But when it comes to the fox, the fox will smile in your face and be your friend. But when it comes down to it, they're going to do the same thing that the wolf would do. And I think that we're still in that era of politics in terms of national governments where we have politicians who are promising to be the friend to oppress communities, I guess, not just uh, black and brown folks, but I think to all communities that are smiling in their faces and going mm -hmm. to protests and pride rallies and all this different stuff. And in reality, if their policies don't show that, then it's just that fox smiling in your face. So I, I think that that's a new take I have on politics that I'm hoping as these societal changes continue, we'll see politicians who are traditionally Democrats or foxes uh, kind of be weeded out of, of government and we'll have kind of politicians like AOC and, and people who are more openly anti-racist uh, take, take control of the government. And I think at that point, that's a more comfortable vote for someone like myself, at least. Um, but that's just how I'm currently thinking of politics. Yeah. But you're right. I think it's kind of like you have to let this whole generation just go. They've had the same level of control for their entire lives, and they're making the same policies and the same mistakes. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And you're that, that's a great example of the wolf is scary because, but you know what they're like. Because look at Bill Clinton. Like I would have think, thought, like Bill Clinton was great, but in 1994 he signed that crime bill, and now he regrets it. But it doesn't matter. It's it still happened. Yeah. Yeah. And he a hundred. That was a political move. Like no matter what. 
it's crazy. That's what I mean, like Reagan, Reagan going to states in the Midwest and the South and campaigning to be like, I'm going to help crime rates go down. I'm going to help this. And it's all of a sudden these people who were historically Democrat are like, yeah, I'm going to vote Republican because Reagan said we have a lot of crime. But that's not the case. Like it was all it, everything is done for a political gain. So it just makes you like kind of like you said, like you almost question like what you think you know about traditional politics. And you're like, maybe I should look into the people that I'm voting for rather than being like, oh, this is the first, this is the only female on the ticket. Or this is the only black guy on the ticket. Like just because you're a female, just because you're someone of color doesn't mean that you actually care about those communities either. And that's like, remember like when Taylor Swift was talking about the, the uh, like the Senator in Tennessee yeah. and how like everyone was voting for her because like, oh my God, first female, like first female, blah, blah, blah. But she like totally hated the LGBTQ plus community. Didn't yeah. want like didn't want to pass the Equality Act there. So it's things like that that like you need to like look into the people that you're actually going to vote for because every vote does count. And I am a firm believer in that. Like you mentioned earlier, like if a million people think that way, then a million people don't vote. Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone has to go out and vote. And I think this November is a prime example of that. And like every November, because it's not just presidential elections, like mm-hmm. it's state elections, it's like city councils, it's all kinds of things that affect people like at home. And I don't think people take it seriously enough, but like in a small city, there's not a lot of people. So every vote literally does count. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people should be better, especially like younger generations, like should be registered and should vote. I will say like people like James, Gianna, my brother, Franco, like they, Franco has been saying the same thing like his entire life. And I used to be like, I've been always been very centered, like very like fiscally conservative, liberally, I mean, socially liberal. That's how I always defined it. But like Franco would always say like, no, it's all corrupt. Like fuck the establishment. Like, and I was like, okay, you're a weird anarchist. But I do think that like, like that, that like age group has just been more open-minded to things that I definitely was closed off about. And I think that the more challenge to the establishment, like AOC, like uh, other younger Democrats or even younger uh, politicians in general, like anyone who challenges the status quo is what's needed at this point because it's it's clearly not working. And that goes for people and like for companies and stuff, because I think a lot yeah. of stuff that we've seen has been like brands and networks and companies like coming out and making these statements and saying that they support Black Lives Matter and they support the Black community. But you can post like a Black square and say like Black Lives Matter, like for one day of the year. But do you actually feel that way? Like your policies, like you mentioned the same about politicians, like people's actions have to reflect what they're saying there are so little people of color in these high, high positions in companies. Like, I mean, my company has a female CEO, which is amazing. And that's great. But like most companies have like, and I know this because like all research risks and stuff that I'm going to, that we're going to write. And you look at like, who's who in the company and it's just all old white men. And you're like, Oh, okay, cool. So you're just realizing that like within these like boards at these big companies, there's no diversity. So you can have a diversity and inclusion club and like a newsletter that goes out once a month, but that doesn't make you diverse. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something that as like not people in po- in politics can do to help that. Like if you're someone who's in a position to hire people, like hire people of color. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if, if 
I, I get it. It's like a lot of people, and this is something that I see a lot online. It makes me so angry. People are like, sometimes they're just not qualified for the job. And I'm like, mm, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> sometimes yeah. people give them opportunities. And that's the point. And I think that that's something that like within big companies, like people can start to do. But I did want to get like your opinions on, you know, networks and brands and stuff like that. And them saying they support people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> my mind's like connecting a lot of different dots. Um, I I think that capitalism plays an important role in once again upholding uh, white supremacy in the U.S. So I think that when brands are involving themselves in performative activism, I think that that is in some cases completely a ploy to uh, allow people because i think people are beginning to realize the the impact of 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 boycotts in a way i don't think that we've ever seen it uh, like a boycott that has completely ruined uh, a company just yet but <clears throat> i think that capitalism it it's kind of like politicians. They, they do these performative things. They maybe put out their logo with a rainbow on it, or they post a black square or whatever it might be. But then at the same time, when you look at um, where they're manufacturing their goods from, how they're treating their employees, are they, are they paying their employees a, a fair wage? Where are they donating their money to in terms of politicians? So, I mean, everyone loved Wendy's Twitter for years. It was like, like when I was in some communication courses, like we were learning about Wendy's Twitter constantly. It was like, it was revolutionary in terms of social media marketing. But now I'm just like, okay, but excuse me, where are you? Because all I know is that you donated a ton of money to Trump. And I saw something the other day that said that Twitter was, I mean, Wendy's was posted on Twitter, like we're going to elevate black voices but their social media has been real silent ever since. I think that companies run a good portion of our country without us knowing it or without us making the connection. I think that politicians in some or most cases on a national level, at least are completely compromised in terms of legislation because of all the money they're getting from corporations. And I think that's another thing that's being question now i guess with like bernie sanders and a lot of the democratic candidates were all oh i'm only running based off of the people's money and this and that so i think that uh, corporations are once again the sheets being pulled off of w- this performative activism and i think performative activism is a problem on individual and corporate levels and i think that that's continuing and needs to Corporations either need to be straight up and be like, I'm, we're very centrist. We're not going to be one way or another. But I think that that even claiming yourself to be a centrist at this point kind of aligns yourself more with one side versus the other. Yeah. Money and power go hand in hand. James, I do have a question for you specifically. How do you handle being in a group and knowing that you're in the minority of opinions? So I will say that a lot of the times I don't find myself in that situation. Um, I, by no, man, maybe by purposely I've done this, but 
I think I've surrounded myself with people who are uh, of a like mind. And I don't think I did that consciously, but I did it, uh, whether it be on Twitter or whatever. But I think the best example of being the minority um, is more so within my family. And I think for a lot of white folks, that's going to be a place where they need to be uh, outwardly anti-racist and of the minority mindset. I think that I try to connect what I'm doing to a greater cause. So I think once I kind of understood what I said earlier about how important it is to change just one person's mind, I think that by changing my dad or my mom or my brother, whoever it might be, by changing their mind on one small thing, I'm making an impact that's going to create a, I guess, domino effect and they're going to take that to their circles. I think what I would call it is critical hope. So I'm hopeful that these things will change by having conversations and educating myself and going to protests. I'm hopeful that things will change, but in terms of is that hope real? Um, I think that that's where critical hope comes in. And it's kind of just all about understanding that things might not change. Like I fully anticipate myself um, working my whole life to, you know, talk to people and have conversations. But that critical piece is knowing that by the end of my life and by the end of my generation, these things are not going to be fixed. But I think by having critical hope that by doing small things are going to snowball effect and kind of create a generation that is more tolerant. And like we've been talking about kind of anti-racist, I think that that critical hope is what keeps me going, I guess, in those situations. And uh, I guess not really not being scared to or going into it, knowing that you're probably going to be looked at as a fool and people are going to try to question your intelligence. Or in my case, it might be that I'm just too young to understand Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I'm indoctrinated by my liberal university. I think that you, once you get enough pushback, I think at, at some point it becomes white noise and it's like, okay, but let's just get back to the facts. And then I think that's kind of how I handle that pressure. And I guess going into something, being educated is another thing. I think that when I first started being outspoken at like against family who I thought had incorrect political or or just general views on societal issues. I think I went into it with this just kind of like, I just heard a few things or I watched one documentary and I was like gung ho. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to teach you. But then they come back at you with one fact and all of a sudden you don't have another fact. And that's discouraging. It is discouraging losing a, I don't want to say losing. It's not, it's not really losing, but kind of being, being proven wrong or yeah. having, being yeah. like questioning yourself or your position here. I think that once I became more educated on it and felt confident going into those situations, that pressure kind of was alleviated. That was a long answer. I feel like I just talked for 58 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, mean, I think that, that like sum, summed it all up, honestly. And I think that's a good 
thing to like take away from all of this too is like having those conversations are important, but you should like try to educate yourself. Like I think that a couple, like I said, like I mean, people should really watch 13th on Netflix, super informative, but also there's other things like people can you can watch that literally in the last 24 hours, watch all of Insecure. And I'm almost done. And it's not that's not the point of the show. Isn't supposed to be like about white privilege and about, you know, what it it's just things that happen on the show that you're like, oh wow, like I've never experienced that. So it's things like that that just kind of make you really check your privilege. And I think like watching things like that and reading different books and listening to podcasts, like all that stuff is so important. And I think for people, if like you want to really be a true ally, like, yeah, you can post a black square on Instagram. That's great. Mm -hmm. But like, can you donate? Can you sign signing petitions? Take takes literally a minute max to sign a petition. But it's like, that's yeah. what I'm saying. When you're sitting on your phone scrolling through stuff, like you can sign some petitions. Anytime you can repost you things. You can retweet things. Like you can share articles. Like there's so many things you could do that don't take any time. Like even if you set 10 minutes a week aside to like make phone calls to call legislative, like legislatives or if you want to like write emails to senators, like there's websites that have literally pre-filled templates mm-hmm. for you to swipe and you swipe up and you just put in your email and like, your information it's they have the internet has made it so simple to be helpful and i think Mm -hmm. that people should really like take advantage of that and it's not just so much like i'm not racist like you have to actually be anti-racist all right prove it that's That's what i mean literally what i feel like it's like now all right you're you're not racist fine prove it do something. Yeah. And I want to be like, and you don't want to be that person. It's like, did you protest? Did you donate? Like an asshole. But it's like, did you? Did you do anything? Have you like even just mm-hmm. read something? Like, I don't think, I think people think like if you're not out there like marching and doing these things, like, yes, it's also high global pandemic. So like, you're not comfortable being around mm-hmm. a thousand plus people somewhere. Don't. But like, in lieu of that, sign some petitions. And I think that there's yeah. so many smaller things that people can do that like what is within their own like comfort zone that they should do. Yeah. I, I think that um I think a lot of the times what I what I wind up saying is, you know, educate yourself and I you know, I've had some friends talk to me and I'm glad they talked to me and not this is a piece of advice, don't go to uh black folks and say, What can I do? Uh, because it's you have Google, like go Google it, Google it, or talk to your friend or whatever. So I'm happy that I was that person for some people. Um, and I think a lot of the times I automatically go to, we'll start educating yourself, but just knowing something is, is not enough. Like, like you said, there, there are ways that you need to be doing. You need to be taking action on this knowledge. Like, what are you doing with that knowledge? So you could, I can, talk to you for hours and hours about all these different systems of oppressions that are in America. And I could be aware of them, but what does it say about me when I do nothing to fight against them? So now I can't even, it's not even like I claim ignorance anymore at that point. You now know about these things. So if you know about them and you're not doing anything, then I think you're just as bad as the people who are not doing anything with that are, that are not doing anything to learn the knowledge. So I think donating, I think that recurring payments on, to certain organizations are, are great. Like I set a few recurring payments because, you know, I'm not going to be that person who donates just because there are currently protests or because it's a cool thing to do. And I think, I think a lot about, and I think Gianna would love this. Um, like when Lil Wayne says real G's move in silence, like lasagna, 
I think that that's like really true because I think that that goes against white folks trying to be performative and kind of be like, here, look what I did. Like here, I donated this much on my Instagram. Like you're posting on your stories and stuff. Yeah. I I guess it's cool that like now your other friends are like, oh, wow. Well, you know, James post James donated, like maybe I should too. But at the same time, like, good for you. Like, I'm not gonna, I don't think that people should be applauded for doing what's right at this point. So, and I think if that's the reason why you're doing it, then you need to reevaluate your intention in doing this. So move like the GM lasagna and do the work. I think that's a perfect way to wrap this up. That was... (laughs) the best ending in any of our podcast episodes. <laughs> James? Well, we're going to share some stuff on our Instagram page. If you follow us, we will share like some resources, some good places to donate that, you know, your money is going to go to a good cause because mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is just give people money that you don't know where it's going. So definitely check that out. James, you're a star. Thank you so much for this. Thank, Thank you. y'all. And everyone, Uh, fight the good fight. All right, guys, have a good night. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.